0: Well, good evening. Just while I'm getting myself organized, um, I'm just going to ask if you would be willing to turn to the person next to you and just for a few minutes try and define the word blessed. Just try and define the word blessed. Uh, And if you don't feel like talking to anybody, then just ponder it in your own hearts. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up and unpack it. Just have a think about that word. So if you could um, hold those thoughts, and um, we're going to be touching on that a little bit later on. So we're coming to the end of a series of talks on the Sermon on the Mount. Is that sort of, that sounds a bit hummy to me, is it? Mm. Technology is not my friend. Ooh, that's close. So, we, yeah, we're coming to the end of a series of talks on the Sermon of the, on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And each week, for the last eight weeks or so, we've been looking at this teaching verse by verse because it deserves that kind of attention because it's such an amazing passage of teaching. Uh, although it's only short, it is packed with meaning. And this is Jesus talking straight from his heart to our hearts. Uh, the language is spare and beautiful, but very challenging. And those of you who are good at maths will uh, have noticed that we've actually run out of verses in the Beatitudes. <laughs> Mark, preached, Mark preached the last one last week. Um, but in summary, tonight we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And the eagle-eyed among you will probably also notice that this passage was due to have been split across two weeks. It was going to be half tonight and half next week. But because something completely different is going to be happening next week, I'm delighted to say that I get this whole passage. So, um, and bearing in mind that the subtitle of the series that we're finishing is "Check Your Attitudes, Not Your Likes," here's our reading. <clears throat> And it's on page 1114 in your pew Bibles, page 1114. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, Thinking and pondering and dreaming about these passages, these two passages, the Beatitudes and the one that I've just read from Philippians for weeks now, as you are probably not surprised. And I have learned over time and with experience that it's usually a good thing to to really listen to what that first thing is that God said to me before I go off and make it really overcomplicated, which I can do sometimes. And it's always a privilege to be here, but it's also a real burden, And I want to be faithful tonight to what I feel that God's given me to talk about. And I've got two really remarkable passages to work with. Um, But it's not just that. It's probably something to do with my life now, without Rob around. Having much more time to be still and to think and to consider what my priorities are. And maybe um, a recognition of the urgency of getting on with some of the things that really matter And I'm glad too that Mark spoke last week about blessings. He said, blessing is not a state of mind, it's a state of being. It's who we are. And so tonight I want to speak about blessing and I want to speak about love. Because these passages are all about love. And I'm going to read the Beatitudes through again now. Matthew, verse five, Matthew chapter 5. Don't, don't worry about looking it up, actually. It would be lovely if you just listened. And feel free to close your eyes and just listen again to this amazing teaching. Maybe close your eyes and imagine that you're sitting on that hillside at the feet of Jesus. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples... And that's us, by the way, came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. And whenever I read this teaching, this Sermon on the Mount, I can picture Jesus sitting there with quiet authority, delivering this most mind blowing and life changing and life challenging teaching. It's totally countercultural. It still is today. And he does it out of a heart of love. And this teaching is full of love. And without love, we don't stand a chance of fulfilling it. With love, we can lay hold of all of God's fullness. Without love, how can we even begin? Love started it all. God so loved us that he sent his son to die for us. He sent his son to save us and he saved us not with power and might but with humility and sacrifice, and that is what's at the heart of these passages. But that's only part of the story. It's only half of the gospel, if you like. Both of these passages have a point and a counterpoint. Both of these passages have a challenge and a prize. So let's look again at the challenge, and then we'll have a look at the prize. And just as Jesus gave up his divinity and came among us in poverty and humility and suffering... He asks us to model these same attitudes. To stand firm when we're aware of our spiritual poverty. To allow our hearts to break for this world. To face a hostile world in humility and gentleness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness and to cry out to God for these things. To show mercy and gentleness. To keep our hearts clean and pure. To be peacemakers in the midst of conflict. To be prepared for persecution and ridicule and marginalisation for his sake. And Jesus set us the perfect example in his life and in his death. How can we be like him? How can we have the attitude of Christ? Where do we begin? Well, we begin by loving. By knowing that we're loved and that he loved us first. I mentioned earlier that I believe God had placed something on my heart and this is it really. I believe that we need a fresh revelation of God's love. We need a fresh revelation of God's love for us so that we can know our identity and our status in Christ and only then can we move into the fullness of, of being Christ's representatives in this world. How can we model, how can we model a love if we don't yet know that love for ourselves. Because if it comes out of our own humanity, it will never be enough. If we can grasp that we are loved unconditionally by our Father in heaven, then maybe we can begin to love unconditionally. And that includes loving ourselves. That's worth thinking about. And we struggle, don't we? We, we all struggle in evangelism. We all struggle in how to tell people about what we found and how to tell people about the joy and the peace and the hope that we found. But I sometimes think that if we were more like Him, it wouldn't be so difficult and we wouldn't struggle so much to tell people about Him. So, discipleship, becoming like Him, it's really hard. It's a lifetime of learning, it's a lifetime of learning the Word. It's a lifetime of being asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, a lifetime of being refined. It's a lifetime of laying stuff down and seeking His face. But if it comes out of a heart of love, then all things are possible. And a moment ago, I mentioned uh, the point and the counterpoint in these two passages the challenge and the prize. And the challenge is clearly laid out here, and we've talked, we've unpacked it. Really well over, over many weeks, we've had some great talks about each of these verses. And again, this is really on my heart to share because sometimes I think we believe in half the gospel. This is, sorry, this might sound a bit, a bit challenging, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I think sometimes we only believe in half a gospel and half a saviour. We can, we can believe that he came to save us by his death and resurrection. We can believe that he defeated sin and death and he's brought us back into a relationship with God. But then it seems like we go on to behave as if the rest is up to us in sheer hard graft. As if good intentions and good works and diligent study would be enough. And I don't believe that these are the attitudes that God's looking for. I don't believe that these are the attitudes that Jesus is talking about. Look again at the Beatitudes. Look again at the start of every verse. Blessed 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 Jesus tells us that we're blessed when we do these things or when we try to do them because when we fail and we will fail he knows our hearts and he knows that we're giving it our best shot when we believe in the whole gospel when we believe in the whole full gospel and the complete saviour we will know that we live in a state of blessing and we can really lay hold of it So I asked you earlier, you had a pretty animated discussion, I think, about the word blessed. It's very difficult to define that word, but I think blessing and grace go hand in hand. And grace is freely given. It cannot be earned, it's a gift of God. And we either accept it or we don't. And this is really important. Jesus said, I have come that they, that's you and me, that we may have life and life to the full. So are you living an abundant life? Are you living in the fullness of what Jesus came for? Are you leading a full gospel life? Do you know that you're blessed all the time? And do you know you're loved? Do we know in in times of challenge, when we're grappling with our attitudes and trying to, to take our stand, how beloved we are? I'm not talking about some, you know, rose-tinted, sentimental uh, love. I'm talking about, actually, I love it that these banners are up. I'm talking about this kind of love, the everlasting love that God has for us. And this is a love that will enable us to stand in times of grief and loss without being overwhelmed. It's a love that will enable us to endure sickness and suffering, because we have hope and eternity in our hearts. It's a love that will enable us to release forgiveness where it would otherwise be impossible so that we can break the roots of bitterness. It's a love that breaks our hearts for the things that break his and that's at the heart of intercession. That's at the heart of intercession, to have, allow our hearts to be broken for the things that break his. A love that enables us to love those who are unlovely to us. A love that enables us to speak life and healing into dark places. And a love that transforms us into something far beyond anything that we can ask or imagine. A love that empowers us. That's a great word. A love that empowers us. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know where that love will take you if you let it? If you're prepared to go. And if we look again at that Philippians passage, it's the challenge and the prize. Again, the prize, the price and the gift. When Jesus had done all that the Father asked of him, he was exalted to the highest place and given the name that is above every other name, that at his name every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has been exalted to the highest place. He's seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. And here's the thing, we're invited to join him. We are invited to join in. And look at the verses that immediately precede this passage. Begin at verse 1, it says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort, From his love. If any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, united with Christ, the same love, one in spirit and purpose. And, and do we really grasp who we are in Christ? I mean, that's a whole other sermon, but think on this. Think on Ephesians 1. So Jesus became a servant. He emptied himself of his divinity so that we could become his brothers and sisters. We're not servants. We're brothers and sisters. We are co-heirs with Christ. He died so that we could follow him and take up our place and our authority, the authority that he's won for us, a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And the longing of my heart is that we would walk out into that freedom and authority, that we would really grasp our status and to know that love, so that we can begin to exercise the gifts and the weapons that he has given us. You are full of gifts. I just want to say that to you. You are full of gifts. This congregation is packed with gifts. Are you operating in them? And by the way, as an aside, are we encouraging each other in the gifts that we have? I mean, humility is a really good quality, but if someone comes alongside you whom you trust not to flatter you, and they they praise you, yeah, praise is not a bad word. If they praise you or affirm you in an attitude or a gifting or something that you're good at, don't be too hasty to bat it away or, or press it down, because that... Could well be the Holy Spirit prompting them to affirm you in that gifting. Yes, we need to have clean hands and a pure heart. And we need to develop those qualities that Christ has modelled. But look at the prize. The kingdom of heaven will be ours. We will be comforted. We will inherit the earth. We will be filled. We will be shown mercy. We will see God. We will be called sons and daughters of God and great will be our reward in heaven the enemy comes to steal and destroy but i have come that they may have life and life in abundance one of my favorite all-time favorite parables uh, is the story of the lost son the prodigal son and i love it really because it's my story i've i've always loved this since day one of my christian walk the father God loved his lost and profligate son, or daughter in my case, so much that when he saw him still a long way off, he forgot his dignity, he hitched up his robes and he ran, yes he ran out to meet him as he was trudging that long road home and the son was abject and full of self-loathing, expecting nothing, nothing, from his father maybe just the lowliest if he was lucky the lowliest position in his household but no the father was full of love and compassion and he threw his arms around him he staged a banquet for him and he honored him with fine robes and a ring on his finger the lost son the lost daughter and that's you and that's me and that's how much he loves us and i'd like to just say where are you on the road home Some of you may not have started the journey yet from that place of exile. Some of you may just be turning back to come home. Others of you will have known that loving embrace, but you can't help sometimes just looking over your shoulder at the road behind and the things that have hurt you and the things that you find hard to forgive. Some of you may find it very hard to accept that you're loved because you find it so hard to love yourself and you can't imagine how God could love you. And For some, human wisdom and intellect can be holes in the road. Too many unanswered questions. Well, Rob had so many unanswered questions, but here's the thing. He loved and he knew he was loved. So the Father's arms are open and ready for that embrace, but will we receive it? Or do we still have the attitude of an unworthy servant outside with our nose pressed up against the window, hanging around when we could be inside at the banquet? And what does the banquet look like? How do we take part in the banquet? I would say in praise and worship and prayer, Heaven's banquet. An eternal banquet filled with thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly and we're invited to join in. Just think how our prayer and our worship would be transformed if love, not duty, was our motivation. Love won't make us immune to heartache or trouble or sickness, but it will sustain us through. Love didn't prevent Jesus from going to the cross. It sent him there. So in conclusion, our story is an eternal love story. It's a story of love given, love received, and love returned. It's eternal and permanent and beautiful. And lost as we were, God so loved us that he sent Jesus to bring us home. And Jesus showed us the way home in his life and death. He emptied himself and God exalted him. And as we empty ourselves, he will fill us and the kingdom of heaven will be ours. And I can't think of a better way of finishing this talk than with that great prayer of Paul's in Ephesians, from Ephesians 3. And if it's okay, I'd really love to pray this over you now. So let me pray this over you. That you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.